You are now tuned in to Life Song Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to accurately studying the Word of God in a comprehensive and biblical manner. Listen in as host Jimmy Hicks, Phil Ramsey, Blake Shankel, and Mike Wells dig into the Word line by line, verse by verse, leaving no stone unturned. Grab your Bible and your notebook and get prepared to study the living, breathing, active Word of God. Now, here are your hosts of Life Song Radio. Hello and welcome to Life Song Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. I'm Phil Ramsey. I'm Blake Shankle. And I'm Mike Wells. And welcome in to another episode and another edition. And actually, it's a special edition to, uh, today. We are joined again uh, with a uh, with another, uh, well, actually a couple of special guests here today. I, I, I don't know how special uh, Tom is, but uh, uh, Ray, um, definitely uh, Ray Comfort is uh, joining us today. Uh, but uh, also Tom Hammond, uh, a friend of the show who has been on. Uh, several- I had a school teacher told my mother I was very special. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tom has been on with us several times. He is the author of What Time is Purple and, of course, uh, uh, world-renowned TV personality and author and evangelist uh, of Living Waters Ministry, Ray Comfort. Ray, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, we definitely are uh, looking forward to having some conversation with you and, and talking about uh, uh, evangelism and uh, your ministry and how you got started and and uh, the importance, obviously, of evangelism and the aspects of what it is that you do uh, and uh, and how you train people in that. So we're looking Brother, forward. You, you didn't introduce everybody. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Come on. This is me, Sam. You probably say, why is he wearing sunglasses? It's because he's cool. Okay. <laughs> how, how long will the dog wear glasses until you take them off? Or? I tell him he doesn't get fed if he takes them off. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, we're going to get some letters from Peter now. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, Ray. What's the dog's name? Is Sam, right? Sam. We've established that. Yeah, yes, Sam. come up to pet him, they say, oh, what's his name? I say, Vicious. It looks vicious. He's Mm. my uh, he's my bait when I go fishing for man for almost a year. I've put him on my uh, bike and gone around a local college wearing sunglasses. I wear sunglasses, and students come rushing up and say, "Oh, how cute!" I say, "Yes, that was the dog." And I say, (laughs) 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 "And and there's something disarming about a dog wearing sunglasses and a guy wearing sunglasses." And I had direct access into huts all because of him. So he's great bait when I go fishing for men. (laughs) That's That's great. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Ray, uh, you know, before we get started, we got several things we want to talk to you and ask you about today. But uh, uh, Mike reached out to to a friend of ours uh, and a a very good friend of Tom's here, uh, you know, for some advice as we prepared this interview and the questions. And and so he sent us some ideas to ask uh, of questions to ask you. But he said the most important question that we had to ask you. And these are this is one of these questions that uh, that, you know, he's he's kind of hanging over our heads. Uh, and, and I know he'll be upset that if we if we don't ask it. So uh, uh, he he wants to know uh, why Todd Friel is your favorite person in the world. Well, actually, I've never met Todd Friel. I've just met his legs. <laughs> 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 and I got to tell you the order. It goes like this: God first, wife, dog, and Todd. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's prestigious. That's that's. But Pretty good there. I actually love Todd. I, I think he's absolutely amazing. Even I even forgive him for what he used to do to me. We had a radio program for a couple of years called Way of the Master, and I'd I'd have to witness to people live over a cell phone, and someone would go out and find a stranger and say, "Here's Ray. He wants to talk to you." And I remember sometimes I'd get in a jam. I'm like I'd get a 13 year old girl or something, and I, I I don't know what to say. I can't go. You know, have you ever lusted and stuff like that? And I'd say things like. Todd, help. And I'd hear, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about, what about our guest over here? How does he rank up on that list? He's way up there too. He's, he's along with Todd. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just thinking the first time I talked to you, Ray, you remember that? Now remind me. Yeah, you were, I think you were under some sedation. You were in the hospital 
with with the kidney stone. Oh, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I told, <laughs> I told her, I told Ray this. I said, Ray, I'm going to let you be. Uh, I'm going to let you be more famous. I'm going to let you be smarter, and I'm going to let you be better looking. But I'm not going to let you outdo me on the kidney stone story. <laughs> but it turned out his was a lot worse. So I've had to go rewrite mine. But. Well, kidney yes, kidney stones are amazing. A whole life direction can be changed with just one stone. Ask you got it, brother. Mm. Ask Elias. You overtaught my punchline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goliath's whole life was changed. But yeah, I remember uh, fond memories of lying on the floor asking God to kill me and telling my wife to call an ambulance. When the ambulance arrived, I moved from a 10 pain to a 3 when they walked in. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what's going on? I said, well, I had a 10 pain about 10 minutes ago. I was now on a 3. But they were so nice and so um, friendly and kind. And I realized about three weeks later why. It was sixteen hundred dollars for the ambulance. So <laughs> that was so thrilled to see me lying on the floor. Mm-hmm. I remember when the nurse asked me, yeah, when the nurse asked me the third time what I was allergic to, I said it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, if I die, I die. You give me, you give me whatever I need. That's it. Oh, I, yeah, thankful. Look, it's, it's worse than it's worse than childbirth, and I've been through three. I'm not kidding. I've got three kids, one of each. <laughs> <laughs> that's great if, if, hey, if that was like a kidney stone everybody would be an only child <laughs> <laughs> well, well we glad today. i appreciate this has been wonderful are we closing now or is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess we weren't too much fun he's already looking at the watch ready to roll <laughs> now uh good this is fun we've we've enjoyed uh this is this is a lot of fun so i'm going to jump into the first question ray i mean this is kind of the reason we wanted you on because um Many of the guys here, I think all of us have have watched you go out and and do street street preaching, open open air evangelism, and uh, this is something that you know you do a lot of videos on to to kind of help and guide. Um, but it's something that's that's not really popular among believers, and 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 cer- certainly not the unbeliever. Uh, this open air evangelism. Uh, can you explain a little bit what what it is that you do, and and, and what street preaching is, and and how you go about doing that? Well, it's not popular with me. I hate it. I hate evangelism. I can't wait till the Lord comes and I don't have to say to anyone anymore, are you a good person? How many lies are you told? I think that shout that comes with the coming of Jesus is me yelling, yippee, you don't have to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to open air preach, and I've done it thousands of times every Saturday for mm, 13 years, a friend picked me up, his name was Scotty, and we go and open air preach. And I knew I was going somewhere I didn't want to go to say something I didn't want to say to people who didn't want to hear it. I'd rather stay home and watch an old black and white movie on TV, but I can't because hell exists. And if hell didn't exist, if hell didn't exist, I'd probably up in Australia, I'm New Zealander, but up in Australia where the water's warm and I'd be an old surfer lying on a beach. But I can't live a life of self-indulgence because people are going to hell. And uh, I have a moral responsibility as a Christian. And so I swallow my fears and I get fearful and I say, God, please help me. And open-air preaching is a wonderful way to reach the lost. One-to-one is a privilege to talk to people and share the message of everlasting life. But one-to-a-hundred is so much better. And the type of open-air preaching I'm involved in isn't like standing on a street corner and yelling at people who pass by holding a sign saying, unless you repent, you'll perish. What we do is we attract people to hear the gospel, and we do it by giving away money. Um, that kind of, like, pe- people send a preacher giving away money, it's kind of like water running uphill. It's <laughs> unnatural, so they stop to see what it's about. And when I say I give away money, we've done it for years using trivia. We just ask things like, uh, does anyone know the capital of France? It rhymes with Aris and begins with P. And some will say, <laughs> Paris. I say, that's right, here's your dollar. And they go, whoa, that was easy. You must be a university student, educated person. <laughs> okay, what, what, what is the opposite of up? That's right, it's down, here's your dollar. What's your name? Fred, Fred, that's right, here's a dollar for you. And it creates good feeling among the crowd. And then we say, who would like to go for $5? I'd like to give you a good test to see if you're a good person and you're going to make it to heaven. If you pass, I'll give you $5. If you don't pass, it'll be $5 anyway. All we want from you is your honesty and you speak up nice and clear. Some guy will get up on the box and away we go. And, and it's just a pure, unadulterated gospel. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful medium to reach the lost without that undue offense of yelling at people. Yeah, and, and I want to ask this too, because I've seen you do this countless times. Like you said, you've been doing this for 13 plus years. Um, and and I think 
I think a lot of people would love to do what you do, but are, are just terrified or scared to even step up and do it or to go out there maybe a Saturday and, and talk to people they're, they're not used to engaging with. Uh, what kind of adv- what advice would you give? I mean, when you started out doing this 13 something years ago, what was going through your mind and, and how have you grown from that? Well, just by way of humility, it isn't 13 years ago. It's something like 30, 40 years ago in 1974, <laughs> I think. So um, I get fearful. I get nervous. On the way there, we always yawn out of nerves. Um, but there's a key to, uh, to what I do and to uh, dealing with my fears. And this is, this is what it is. I have a, a twofold weaponry. Uh, firstly, number one is that I know people have got a will to live. Let me talk about Sam. I hope. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's out. Yeah, Sam, he's really interested in what I'm saying. Um, Sam is interested in dogs. When he sees a dog, well, when he sees a cat, let's start with cats. When he sees a cat, every muscle in his body goes stiff. He goes, ugh, cat, and he'll chase it. Now, I've never told him what a cat is. I've never explained, hey, here's a picture of a cat. This is your enemy. He knew it right from his puppyhood, if there's such a word, intuitively that the cat was his enemy. When he sees a dog, completely different. His tail will wag, uh, he'll, he'll be interested, he's excited. Uh, sometimes there's a growling here and there. It's probably because the cat yelled out to him, uh, sorry, the dog yelled out to him, cat lover or something like that, something insulting. <laughs> but when he sees a dog, he, he recognizes his own kind. And once again, I haven't gone through a dog encyclopedia and said this is a chihuahua sometimes they look a bit like a rat here is a great dane it looks like a horse but they're both dogs get it didn't have to explain it because he intuitively knows his own kind he's fascinated by them we're exactly the same uh, i don't know if you've had the experience super bowl watching the super bowl and they pan the crowd and do a zoom up on the crowd and you yell to your wife or your spouse hey that looks like uncle arthur come and look oh look at that lady's hair how can anyone behind her see i've never seen such a, a big hairdo and and we're fascinated by our own kind but it's incredibly fascinating when you actually see somebody on a youtube channel talking about their fear of death you know yeah our youtube channel's just passed i think 116 million views it's getting a million views every five or six days and i think it's popular because this is not some preacher with a loose tie, sweaty brow, holding a Bible and pointing his finger at you and accusing you. With this, you're a fly on the wall, getting to hear what people uh, uh, think about the issues of life and death, their fear of death. You know, death is like an elephant in the room. It's stomping on everyone and no one talks about it. But we talk about it and it's fascinating because every single human being is haunted by the fear of death. The Bible tells us that in uh, Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15. So when I go to open air preach at Huntington Beach, my confidence is this. I know that this human being that I'm going to talk to or these human beings I'm going to talk to are not like a dog in the respect that they have a will to live. God has placed eternity on their heart and there's something in them that says, oh, I don't want to die. It's a God-given will to live. It's intuitive. And the second confidence I have is that this is a human being made in the image of God. Once again, not like a dog or a horse or a cat or a primate. They have a knowledge of right and wrong. The work of the law is written on their heart. God has given light to every man. I was just witnessing to an atheist via Zoom this morning. I've got a whole lot lined up for the week. And I said to him, I said, you don't believe in God. He says, you, are you saying I'm lying when I say I don't believe in God? And, he said, and I says, yeah, I think you're lying. And he wasn't insulted. And I said, this is why I think you're lying. God says he's given light to every man, that you're without excuse, the heavens declare his glory. So either God is lying and or you are lying, and the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. So I've got no choice. When an atheist says I don't believe in God, I don't believe what the atheist is saying. So no matter who I'm talking to, they have a will to live that I can tap into, and they have a knowledge of right and wrong that I can also tap into, and that's my confidence. Any soldier who goes into warfare will be fearful if he doesn't have confidence in his weapons. That's right. Well, God's given us weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And those two weapons uh, I've got confidence in, and they help me to dissipate my fears. And that's good. Yeah, because I know confidence is, or, or fear of going up is one of the biggest things that holds people from wanting to go out and to evangelize. And so to even see you having to have 
confidence in certain things before you go out uh, is encouraging. And uh, I wanted to ask this, you, you had mentioned it just briefly in your last comment. And, and I know with Sam sitting there, this might, this will be applicable, but I, in, in a previous video, probably about a month ago, you met with some gentlemen out in the park. You, you said some tough guys uh, that you met and, and one of them was kind of getting off track and, and asking about, um, you know, how do you know Noah and the ark was real and animals getting on board with that? Uh, but you mentioned, you know, you got Sam there, the dog, uh, that sometimes you throw out this this bait. It's it, and and they they use this bait. It's not the hook. It's not what's going to reel them in. But you have this bait that kind of gets them in the conversation. Um, you know, can you ex expound a little bit on that? What you mean by the bait and the hook and how you utilize that? Yeah, sure. Our television program is called The Way of the Master, based on a book that I've written called The Way of the Master, and that is we copy what Jesus did. Now, the rich young ruler in uh, Mark 10, verse 17, ran to Jesus, knelt down and said, Good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Here is a sincere, earnest man who's running to Jesus, kneeling down in humility, complimenting Jesus, and asking the question, we long for people to ask us, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus do? He didn't give him grace, didn't mention the cross, didn't talk about the love of God, didn't say you've got a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. He did something strange. He said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. Unregenerate man has an, a wrong understanding of God's character and nature, and they think they're good because they think God and them have the same moral attributes. Good means moral perfection and thought, word, and deed. So Jesus reproved his understanding of the word good and said only God is good. And then he did something very strange. He said... You know the commandments. Every human being knows the commandments because the work of the law is written on the heart. And then he, then he quoted five of the commandments. But there's something strange he did right in the middle of that. He said, you do not, do not defraud. That's not one of the commandments. What's going on here? Jesus said, you know the commandments and quotes five commandments. And then he says, don't defraud. And I believe that rich young ruler was not a sincere, earnest, humble young man. I believe he was a self-righteous, lying thief who was covetous. Why? Because the word defraud means that you're ripping people off when they don't know about it. And I believe, because of what Jesus said, I might be wrong, I wouldn't build a church on it, but this guy gained his riches by fraud. He was a thief, he was a covetous man, and he was self-righteous and saying, I've kept the commandments. So when Jesus said, go sell all your goods, give to the poor, he was saying, go sell all your goods, sell all your goods and give to the poor those who you ripped off and follow me because we know that no one finds everlasting life through monetary means by selling your house now God owes me everlasting life so there had to be more there to meet the eye that meets the eye now why did Jesus give him the commandments because the Bible says by the law is the knowledge of sin without those commandments the moral law we have no understanding of God's righteousness so the law, the moral law, those commandments are like light. In fact, the Bible says that the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And I often give an analogy. In the morning, you might brush down your table and get it clean. And then you draw back the curtains and let in the early morning sunlight. What do you see on the table? Dust. It's not clean. You thought it was clean, but it's not. And what do you see in the air? Dust. Did the light create the dust? No, the light merely exposed the dust. Yeah. And when you and I take the time to do what Jesus did and draw back the curtains of the Holy of Holies and let the light of God's law shine upon us in his heart, he begins to see himself in truth. And that's why I sound like a, a parrot when I meet a non-Christian. I say to him, do you think you're a good person? After we've been through a little preamble. He says, yeah, because the Bible says every man will proclaim his, proclaim his own goodness. And I say to him, okay, let's go through the Ten Commandments to see if you're a good person. When a police officer picks up a man he thinks is drunk, he gets him out of the car and he has him walk a straight line to see if he's crooked. And the Ten Commandments are the straight line that we give to sinners so they may measure themselves morally. And you go through the commandments and say, how many lies have you told? Have you ever stolen something? Ever used God's name in vain? Ever looked at a woman with lust? What are we doing? We're doing what Paul did in Romans chapter 2 when he said, you who say you shall not steal, do you steal? You say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? What are we doing? Bringing the knowledge of sin, letting the light shine a sinner's on, on a sinner's heart so he can see himself in truth that he needs God mercy, God's mercy. And that's where we're heading for the gospel. 
Guys, my brain's a little fuzzy because I've had two atheists this morning uh, on <laughs> Zoom, and uh, so forgive me if I'm stumbling here and there. Oh, no, you're perfectly fine. I mean, everything's going good. I, I was going to ask that question, and you kind of clear that up. One of the reasons why why you even start with the law before you go into the gospel, you know, because anybody that watches the, the YouTube videos and, and your encounters with other people, you always start by asking some of those questions. You know, you know, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever um, have you ever looked at somebody uh, of the opposite sex with lust have you ever used the god's name uh in vain the lord's name in vain because that's blasphemy and so um you know if you it would real quick just to recap so why why exactly do you start with those 10 commandments before you jump into the gospel for the same reason a doctor who has someone in front of him who knows he knows is terminally ill but doesn't realize it uh goes through the symptoms with the patient he wants the patient to be alarmed about his symptoms he doesn't just say to someone, oh, I see this guy's got a terminal disease. I'm going to give him the cure because he's going to take it home and tip it down the drain. He's not going to appreciate it and appropriate it. So what the doctor does, if he's a good doctor and cares about his patient, will say, so you think you're healthy, do you? Well, let me point out 10 clear symptoms of a terminal disease. One, two, three. And after a while, the patient will begin saying, oh, what should I do? I'll be dead in two weeks. What can I do? And the doctor says, ah, don't worry. Here's a cure. And now he's going to appreciate it and appropriate it because he's seen and understood the disease that it, so that he'll appreciate the cure. And the Ten Commandments uh, bring, uh, show us the symptoms of our disease of sin. You ask anybody if they think they're a good person, they say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Some people are worse than me, but I'm better than others. Why? Because they don't see the symptoms. And what you've got to do is point them out one by one. And show them that if they've lied, they're in big trouble with God. All liars are their part in the lake of fire. No thief will inherit the kingdom of God. No liar, uh, no adulterous person, no fornicator, no homosexual. So that law makes sin reasonable. And it does the opposite effect. It doesn't make people angry. Remember when Felix was before Paul, Paul, Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, which is of the law, temperance, and judgment. Well, Felix was obviously intemperate, and they'd violated his God was his belly, and the Bible says Felix trembled when Paul took him through the commandments or reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment. And so the way to reason with the sinner is move away from his intellect because his intellect is a place of contention. Romans 8 verse 7 says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And evidence of the enmity between man and God is the fact that human beings use their creator's name as a cuss word. I say to people, would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? They say, no, I dishonor her. I'd be disrespectful. What a terrible thing to do. How could you say that? And I say, but you have used your creator's name as a cuss word. The holy name of God that godly Jews won't even speak, even write down because it's so holy. You have taken that holy name and used it as a four-letter filth word to express disgust. That's called blasphemy, punishable by death in the Old Testament. It's so serious. And people don't even realize how serious sin is in the eyes of God, but it's so serious that God gives the death sentence. They don't realize. I say to people, do you know why you're going to die? No, I never really thought about it. Do you know that it's wages? God's paying you for sin and death. You're earning death by your sin. It's like a judge in a court of law. He says, you've committed serious crimes. I'm sending to you to death. This is what's due to you. And humanity is like a, a man who's murdered three prostitutes. And he says, judge, I know I committed murder, but these were the scum of the earth. They were, I was doing society a favor. You know, no big deal. And the judge says, I'm going to show you what a big deal it is. I'm sentencing you to the electric chair because these were precious human lives. And the death sentence has a way of sobering sinners. When they realize that God's given them capital punishment, it shows how serious sin is in God's eyes, that sin is exceedingly sinful, that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, that all liars are right. part of the lake of fire. So that's what that law does. It agrees with the conscience. The conscience agrees with the law. The commandments are like an ally in the heart of the enemy that affirm the truth of each commandment. That law is written upon the heart. And so when you do what Jesus did, what Paul did, all you're doing is affirming the truth that's already written upon the heart of the sinner. Ray, you were 
you said something about the Ten Commandments, and, and, and it's different than what we hear a lot of times about sharing the gospel. Uh, we know the gospel is good news, but in order to get to that good news, there has to be some bad news. And, and what, what you, when you go through the Ten Commandments, in fact, you're doing it differently than a lot of people would say, do it. Hey, instead of adding Jesus into your lifestyle or, hey, add Jesus onto here and things are going to be better or just come to church, if you will. A lot of people say, hey, I'm sharing the gospel by just inviting people to come to the church. But in fact, what you're doing when you're um, given the Ten Commandments and, and going to their sins, you're in fact warning them of the wrath of God to come. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of like Nathan. Remember, Nathan was commissioned by God to go and reprove David. And we're, we're called to reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. So when Nathan came to David, who had violated all the Ten Commandments, he coveted his neighbor's wife, lived a lie, stole his neighbor's wife, committed adultery, committed murder, dishonored God, dishonored his parents, he skittled a lot. Nathan didn't come to him and tell him, that something was missing in his life. Firstly, he told him a story about a man who stole another man's pet lamb and killed it and eaten it, had lamb chops, and David was indignant. He said, that man will restore fourfold, and then he will die. And then Nathan said, you are the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? And David cried, I've sinned against God. And then we see the impenitent prayer, sorry, the penitent prayer of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, if Nathan had come to him and said, uh, David, uh, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, what's that got to do with anything? If he had said that, David would have said, wonderful plan? Oh, let's see if it's as good as my wonderful plan. And experimentally, perhaps given it a try. And that's what happens with the modern gospel. There's no, you are the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? There's no, you know, you who say you shall not steal, do you steal? And you say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? There's no personalizing sin. And it's more, you know, come to Jesus, you'll fill the God check back in your heart. And we've created a mess of false converts because they don't realize that their sin is against God. Do you remember the prodigal son? Can we talk about atheism for a few moments, if we may? Yes. I have a lot to do with atheists. I love them. Um, the atheist is like the prodigal son. Remember what the prodigal son did? He said, Dad, give me my money. And the Bible says he went to a far country. And I like to ask atheists, why do you think he went to a far country? And they said, I don't know. They said, well, it's because he wanted to spend his money on prostitutes. And he didn't want to do it under his father's nose. So we want to get him far away from his father as he possibly could. And I say to them, atheism is a far country. That's all it is. You love your sins and you know it's wrong, so you want to get as far away from God as you can. So it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. And I say, do you know what it was that brought that young man to his senses? It was when he understood that his desire was for filthy pig food. I say, you search your heart and think about your desires, your sexual imaginations. You're looking at pornography and think how unclean your desires are on the side of God. That's what will be the revelation that will make you understand that you've got to go back to God and say, God, I've sinned against you. Please take me on as a hired servant. And we have multitudes of people within the body of Christ that have never understood that their desires are for pig food. Instead, they've been told that there's something missing in their life, and so they go back to the Father, not because they've sinned against Him, but because they've run out of money. God, you be my servant. Instead of saying, take me on as your hired servant, they go to God with, you be my servant. And consequently, we've got multitudes of professing Christians within the body of Christ that are strangers to genuine conversion, and God is seen to them as a servant. That's why the prosperity uh, gospel is so popular, because God is painted as a servant who's here, here as a kind of a celestial Santa Claus, a uh, divine butler, as you will. Uh, and that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, so that's, <clears throat> it's like trying to save a man who doesn't know he's drowning, right? Uh, we need to be warning this man, these women, that they're drowning. And in fact, worse than drowning, they're going to be facing the wrath of God. So that's why we bring the law in, because it's the way Jesus did it. And it, what it does is it 
teaches us about God, teaches about what is impending upon us. And rather from fleeing from God, we flee to him um, in repentance and in faith. And so uh, that's good. You know, um, one of the things we hear a lot, Ray, and I think you hear a lot more than anything is, is, is what you do with the way of the master and how you present it to people. Uh, it's been said before and is, 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 uh, it's like a formula. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit about, um, why it's really not a formula and, uh, how it's, you know, people say it's mechanical, but how would you respond to that? Well, I get people on my YouTube channel put in the comment section, I watch your videos all the time and you do the same thing again and again and again. And I said, well, if you're getting tired of it, stop watching the videos because I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking to people who have never heard it before and yeah. watch their reactions. I mean, they go, wow, I've never heard this before. So I'm not here to entertain Christians. I'm here to reach the lost and the YouTube Amen. channel just shows how I do it. And it was never meant to be a formula. This is just how I do it based on what Jesus did. And I encourage people, you know, use the commandments, start with the 10th if you want and go backwards. But just make sure you use the commandments to bring the knowledge of sin. You don't have to talk in a New Zealand accent, do it any way that comes naturally to you. And you'll find that sinners will say, wow, this makes the gospel make sense because it's based on scripture. Another thing that's often leveled at me, and I notice in the comment section, you're just using fear tactics, and I am. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know if you remember back in the in the 80s, it was many years ago, that there was a very popular advertisement where it advertised uh, seatbelts, and it had these dummies in a car, and they didn't have seatbelts on, and they showed a head-on collision, and in slow motion you see these dummies coming forward, and what the driver's uh, head hits the steering wheel and begins to break up. And it said, what goes through a dummy's head when it's not wearing a seatbelt? And then a deep voice says, the steering wheel <laughs> goes through the head. That's what, and that's scare tactics. What are they doing? Well, it's legitimate scare tactics because if you, you don't wear a seatbelt and you have a head on collision, that's a fearful thing. So make sure you wear your seatbelt. And so when we use fear in proclamation, it's legitimate. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more. But fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Fear him. Now listen to what he just said. He's saying if as a man comes in your bedroom at night in the semi-darkness, you see him with a mask on his face and he pulls back a sharp knife and you see it glitter in the moonlight as he brings it back to stab in your chest. What a fearful thing that would be. But Jesus has said, oh, don't fear that guy. No, no, fear not him who has power to kill your body. Fear God. What was he saying? He's saying a guy coming at you with a knife who's going to stab you on the chest is nothing compared to falling into the hands of the living God. And so fear is your friend. And I often say to people, and I'm sharing the gospel with them, if I put you on the edge of a thousand foot cliff and below you are jagged rocks and you could feel the stones dropping off just beneath your feet, would that be fearful? And they say, oh, yeah. I said, is that fear good or bad? And they said, oh, it's bad. I said, no, no, no. It's good because it's warning you, move back from the cliff. That fear is trying to preserve you. Therefore, it's your friend, not your enemy. And what I'm trying to do is put you over the edge of eternity, put your toes over and make you see it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of living God so you'll move back from sin and embrace the Savior. And so see that fear as your friend not your enemy. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and through fear of the Lord men depart from evil. And we so love our sins, the only thing that will make us let them go is a knowledge that we're in terrible, terrible danger. You know, most people don't realize the scriptures say that sin is incredibly pleasurable. Moses chose rather to uh, suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But whenever we think of sin, we should think of its bedfellow, death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. Death and sin go hand in hand. And the only way we're ever going to be divorced from uh, death is to divorce ourselves from sin. And we're not going to do that without the help of God because we're like moths to a flame when it comes to sin.
The moth flies at the flame, sees all his buddies dead at the flame, but doesn't fear. And what we've got to do is put the fear of God in the heart of the dumb sinner so he'll pull back and say, man, I don't want death that comes with sin. And so a sense of self-preservation, that will to live, begins to kick in once he sees this danger. Ray, if I could uh, ask you something. I'm, I'm listening to you, and, and it's occurring to me. You're, you've got two ministries really going on at once here. You're, you're, you're reaching the lost, but you're also setting a, an example or a pattern for, for uh, other Christians to follow in how to do this. I mean, you're showing people how to do this right. You've been doing this a long time. You've obviously uh, thought through these things uh, uh, a lot. What has changed in, in your years of doing this? And I guess what I'm asking is, what did you learn from your earlier days that, that maybe you do differently now than you did then or some pitfalls that people who are just starting this sort of thing would, would need to watch out for? Well, I've seen videos of me sharing the gospel back in 1999. It's exactly the same as I do now. I haven't changed anything. It was just, just quite amazing. The parrot continues. But one thing I would say is that don't listen to your fears. Fear is, the, fear is a lie from the pit of hell. Um, whenever I get fear, uh, I have to deal with it. And it's always there. I just uh, was very frustrated with this corona, uh, coronavirus thing to a point where I went to a Costco uh, about two Saturdays ago and preached to a line of uh, about 150 people. And they're all wearing masks, look like terrorists. And I was terrified. I was very nervous. And the next Saturday, I did it again. Um, but I had to deal with my fears. I had to say, Lord, I'm not going to fear. Um, every Zacchaeus looks to me like a Goliath when it comes to evangelism. Doesn't matter who it is, sweet little old lady, you know. But I have to get rid of my fears, and this is the way I do it, and this is the analogy I use. Could I ever get you to jump into a pond that's filled with big blocks of ice, big chunks of it? It's so cold in the pond that if you were in it for three minutes, you would die. It's that cold. You say, no, never. Well, say a four-year-old boy fell into that pond four feet deep. He's only three and a half feet tall, and he begins to drown. What would you do? You say, I'd jump in and save him. Love does that. Love conquers fear. eats it up. Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And so there's no argument. The waters of personal evangelism are freezing. But once love grips your heart, love will conquer fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. You'll forget about the flesh, the coldness of the waters of personal evangelism. So what I say is if you've got a problem with fear when it comes to reaching the lost, don't pray for less fear. Pray for more love because that's the problem. One thing also, you have quoted a lot of scripture uh, this morning that telling us uh, uh, about what you do, and you're very knowledgeable of scripture. And I think some people are afraid also because they're afraid they don't know the scriptures well enough to get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation with people. How would you encourage people in that regard? I'd read John chapter 4 and look at the woman at the well. She went back to the village and went to a seminary for six years before she shared the gospel with all the men of the village. No, she just <laughs> went and told them, come meet a man who's told them. And so if you've really been born again, if you've got an experience with Christ, you've been made a new creature, loving righteousness rather than sin, you want to please God more than anything else, then let that experience motivate you. Better to speak up and make a mistake than not speak up at all. You know, if someone came up to you and said, I wanted to share the gospel with you, but, you know, I looked at you and became fearful. You'd probably turn to that person and say, what do you think? I am a monster. Well, I'm, I'm insulted. And most people would be insulted to think that we're fearful to talk to them. And I've found that most people aren't what we imagine them to be. And the thing that's dissipated my fears more than anything else is this one question. So it's always been a mountain for me to approach a stranger. And, and bring up the things of God. Don't know how to do it. Haven't known how to do it until about 20 years ago when I began asking this question. Do you think there's an afterlife? So let me give you a little scenario. I see Fred standing over there and I walk up to him and say, hey, how you doing? He says, good. I say, I'm Ray. What's your name? He says, Fred. Nice to meet you, Fred. And then I say, Fred, I've got a question for you. And Fred says, what is it? Do you think there's an afterlife? Now, I haven't mentioned God, Jesus, heaven, hell, the Bible, blood of Christ, Judgment Day, any of these things that make him and I feel uncomfortable. All I did, all I did was say, 
do you think there's an afterlife? And Fred responds like this, and it's happened literally thousands of times with me. Fred will say, I don't know. I said, do you think about it? And he says, all the time. And his all the time is suddenly dissipates my fears. I realize this is not the Antichrist. He hasn't stabbed me to death. He's a normal American human being who I think 90% believe in God's existence. And he thinks about the issues of life and death. So now my fears are dissipated. I say, well, Fred, are you going to heaven when you die? He says, I hope so. I said, well, let's find out. Let's go through the Ten Commandments. And that's what I do, go through the commandments. You know, I believe in what's called relationship evangelism where some people say you have to build a relationship with people. I build a relationship with them for one, maybe two minutes, sometimes not even that long. And it's, it's an urgency because this guy could die between now and me messing around, getting up the courage to speak to him, waiting two years to earn the right. He could die. So I care about him just enough to be urgent. And I probably 99% of the time, people aren't offended. Someone might say, oh, I don't want to talk about religion. Okay, okay, well, nice to meet you, Fred. But 99% of the time, people begin speaking. We've just put out a little booklet called How to Be Free from the Fear of Death. And it is so popular because that scratches where people itch. Everybody with this virus is thinking about death. They're having a, a, a midlife crisis. And that's a dumb saying, midlife crisis. Nobody has a midlife crisis because you don't know when the middle of your life is. But they're, 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 they're growing old prematurely. They're, they're uh, facing their fears, uh, realizing the mortality is what we usually call it. And so young people and older alike are beginning to think, well, what would happen to me after I die? And I'm finding there's a real openness. I mean, I've been advertising. I'd like to chat via Zoom to atheists. And I've, I've got 13 lined up this week or people who aren't born right. again are atheists to chat via Zoom, and yesterday I had a wonderful, that was the day before, a wonderful talk with an atheist for 50 minutes. So incredible. And uh, I find on the YouTube section, and the comment section, people are saying, how can I get right with God? I was at Huntington Beach yesterday and the day before, six feet apart, microphone, uh, two microphones, two cameras, and just talking to people and recording it. And uh, people are very open, and the Scott, this horrible virus has got a silver lining because it's making people think about their mortality. Amen. You said something a while ago, too, and, and I'll just uh, a quick follow up on this. You were talking about overcoming your fears, and you said something a while ago. It's better to make a mistake than not to do anything at all. And I would, that's one thing I try to encourage people is this. You're talking to a person who is, uh, who, who is headed uh, for his doom. You're not going to make the situation any worse. He, he's, he, he can't be any worse off than he is now, so why not? Yeah, it's so true. It's like you're seeing a family in a car, and you see the brakes are broken, and they're going to go downhill, and it's a thousand-foot cliff. And you run up, and you may stumble at your warning. You may say, I, 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 oh, yeah, so what? You're not slick. You're not eloquent. But all you're doing is warning them, get out of the car. You're going to die. Yeah. And so if our warning isn't eloquent, that doesn't matter. In fact, the Bible warns against that. Paul said, when I came to you, I came not with eloquency of speech, of wisdom declaring to the testimony of God. All we're called to do is warn every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And their salvation is at stake, and we shouldn't hesitate to do so. Amen. Right. You said uh, <clears throat> something a few minutes ago. Actually, it was one of the questions I'm going to ask you. And that's a, most people, most professing Christians at least the ones that I've talked to, not one time has shared the gospel with one person their entire life. And that, and just to confess, that was my life for probably 20 years, uh, but that's not the case now. But uh, you said something about building relationships. A lot of people, that they're scared to death to, and like Tom said, there, there's a fear there of not knowing. If they ask a question, you may not know what, you know, what the answer is. But uh, you said something uh, as far as relationships that you talk to somebody as, as much as a minute before you bring in the gospel. So if I'm walking down the, the side, uh, the sidewalk and there's a stranger coming, I've done this before and there's a stranger coming down the sidewalk. What is uh, something that I could do to a stranger that uh, I may not ever see again? And I know you do a, you do a lot with tracks and I've purchased some of your tracks from your website. They're absolutely awesome and they break the ice, but 
give us some pointers of what you would do if you were you were uh, passing somebody on the sidewalk and initiate a conversation with a stranger. What is one of the first things that you would do? Well, you could fake a heart attack, just fall on the ground, go to convulsions. <laughs> That's good. I like and, that. Uh, and just look up and say, what would happen if this, if this was you and not me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I use gospel tracks all the time. I carry them in my wallet, in my pocket. I don't actually, when I go into a place like Home Depot, I've learned that my biggest enemy is myself. I am a cringing, fearful person, and I'll make any excuses I can to avoid uh, confrontation and I'll put my tracks in a pocket someone will go past me and they'll go hey how you doing I'll go oh that would have been a good how you doing good opportunity but they've gone so what I do is I hold my tracks in my hand so I'm without excuse I make no provision for the flesh so when I see someone on the sidewalk I got my tracks in my hand or in my top pocket and I just draw it out real quick and say hey, did you get one of these it's a million dollars they stop and they look at it and say well oh, thanks a lot I can quit my job and say it's actually a, a gospel message on the back. Do you think there's an afterlife? So the track can be a great way of opening it. If you don't have a track with you, you can just say small talk, just talk about small things, weather or whatever, and uh, just say nice day. Hey, what's your name? And then do the, do you think there's an afterlife? Our big breakthrough, and it happened yesterday at Huntington Beach. I've got the sign up that I'm using since this virus has been around. It just says, um, YouTube channel, 100 million views, be interviewed, get paid for it. I give them gift cards, $5 each. But yesterday I put subject, is there an afterlife? And I almost had people lining up to come on camera. And I figured this out. When I've asked people, you would like to do an interview? They say, oh, no, no, no. And one of the reasons people turn it down is because they don't know the subject. If someone pointed a camera at me and said, I'm going to ask you some questions, but I don't know what I'm going to talk about, that just multiplies my fears. But if they say, we're going to talk about the afterlife, what do you think? Suddenly I know the subject and it's not so intimidating because I know what I could say about that because I think about it. And so when you ask someone, do you think there's an afterlife and let them talk for a minute, that dissipates their fears of talking to a stranger because they've got a subject to talk about. So it's very powerful and uh and very effective, and that would be my number one uh, 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 tip for anyone who wanted to talk to a stranger. So sharing the gospel, really, is, it's not an option for the believer, correct? We're commanded to share the gospel. Absolutely. And um, watching our videos again and again makes you realize there's nothing we should be intimidated about. You know, someone says, I'm an atheist, and we go, oh, this is an intellectual. No, they're not. They're a fool, according to the scriptures. They believed stupidity. I mean, evolution is the dumbest, craziest thing I've ever heard in my life, that man and primate have a common ancestor. I've talked to atheists just recently and asked them, say, how did the first die evolve? They said, well, I don't know. Well, say, so think about it. The first primate that began walking around, he, he didn't have eyes that evolved, and eyes don't work until they're fully evolved. So when he was blind, how did he find a mate? And how did the mate link up with him to procreate when her eyes weren't evolved? As yet, neither was the esophagus or the liver, the lungs, the kidneys, the heart, or the blood vessels, or the blood, or the skin. It's all evolving. Uh, how does it work? Explain it to me. And they go, I haven't thought about that. So I have, and the Bible says in the beginning, God made male and female, so me, found fail in me male that's, <laughs> that's speaking of the woman not the man Ooh, no, edit that out um, <laughs> um, male and female so we could reproduce and have fun doing it and he made them fully formed with eyes that could see a mouth that blood and blood vessels and heart and kidneys lungs and liver and reproductive parts so the only thing that makes sense is God creating man in his own image with moral accountability, with a knowledge of right and wrong, the ability to reproduce, and fully formed, a finished work. And when sinners hear that, they say, I've never thought of that. And then just go through the commandments and show them they need yeah. to save them. Amen. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> We're talking about, you know, Ray handing out a lot of tracts. Well, and Phil brings up the, the question about gospel tracts. We, in fact, have someone who has written a gospel track. And I just kind of want to bring light to that really quickly. You know, Tom, we've, we've had him on our show numerous times. You're well aware of him. Um, but Tom, just, just, or Ray, speak about what purple, what Thomas purple has done for your ministry and, and how you've used it. I know it really speaks to the atheists at mine and, and Ray's ministry really is, I mean, it's geared toward that. It's geared to, 
to lost people, but yet he really has a heart for the atheists. Talk a little bit about Purple. I guess both of y'all, just an exchange well, I here. Would, I would just say this before he says anything. Purple is such a reflection of Ray, whether he realizes mm, that or not. Um, a lady named Lynn Copeland, who does editing work for Ray, uh, when I when I found out who she was, obviously I wanted her uh, working on my project too. And so there's so much Ray in Purple. I don't know if he even realizes that, but it's it tries to follow that model. We go through the the uh, arguments against uh, atheism and and evolution and those things, but that's what I was trying to say a while ago. Ray is not just out here running into lost people on the beach. He is setting a pattern for yep. the church. I agree to uh, on how to do this. This is how you do it. He's so especially gifted. And I hate to say all this with him on here, <laughs> but he is so so gifted in this and i just hope the listeners are are just uh, just taking in every word he's saying like a sponge yep. because he's so effective with it but purple it's it's todd frills who who kind of talked me into doing it and now we're, we're about to wrap up the second book that where i'm going more after agnosticism but uh purple purple was a todd todd he and i got to email him back and forth and text and so on and so forth he says you need to write a book that and all I did was I just took arguments that are that are in the lib in my library and just tried to condense them down into something manageable. You can't just like people won't watch a, a three hour uh, television show. They're not going to read books a lot of times. That's what that was all about. But what Purple tried to do that that a lot of my apologetics resources didn't do was make the bridge over into the gospel, like Phil brought up a while ago. Uh, a lot of apologetics works out there are winning a lot of arguments, but they're not winning a lot of souls. And that was my intent with purple. And it's, it's, it's difficult to segue from one into the other, but, but that's what purple was about. Uh, Todd's ministry got behind it. Of course, now we've got about a million copies out living waters got behind it. Uh, we had an initiative to uh, be done April 1st and the virus uh, kind of put, poured some cold water on that. I think there's plans to maybe pick that up, Ray. I don't know what you guys have got in the works on that, but uh, yeah, of course. I'm excited about yeah. it. Satan was saying April fall, it's not going anywhere. April the first, but it's going to. We're gonna we're gonna get back into it. And uh I love the title. Who thought of that title? That that I, I actually had to fight Todd to keep that title. <laughs> I I thought of the title. He thought it was the dumbest thing he'd ever heard. And I said, no, I'm keeping the title. <laughs> it's intellectually annoying. It makes you turn around and say, what What's, what's it talking about? So it's got that hook to it. You know, what time is purple? <laughs> i tell you why I like what time is purple better than Living Waters Resources. It's hey, because it's free. <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I'm just giving you. I know you got to make a living too, right? But no, I'm just giving a hard time. It has been, it has been really good though. I mean, what a, what a great resource Tom has been able to, and him and his gospel partners to be able to, um, you know, to be able to give to your ministry, to be able to give to any of us, just uh, hey, you want these? Please hand them out and just pay the shipping fee. It's been wonderful. Yeah, so we're going to get back into that when things start moving again, whatever year that happens. Things happen <laughs> in seven years with God, so let's see what happens. <laughs> well, Ray, we we really I know we know you get to go, and we really appreciate your time uh, that you've uh, that you've allowed and and spent with us here today. Uh, one thing that I just want to ask you real quick as you head out the door, we're we're going to do a, a promotional uh, a giveaway when we uh, when we release this uh, interview, uh, and we're going to give away uh, one of your newest books, Anyone But Me. Can you uh, give us a little preview of what to expect in that book? Oh, I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's good. <laughs> the book's written in a New Zealand accent. It's, uh, it, really, <laughs> it really sums up uh, how we all feel about evangelism. We're like Isaiah, where he said, here I am, Lord, but we say, send him. And uh, we say with evangelism, here I am, Lord, send somebody else. I'll, I'll lead worship. I'll do this, do that. Um, but I, I just want to qualify something. You know, people say you're an expert, and it's like saying to a guy who's just broken the tape of a marathon, running up to him and saying, wow, you are so gifted. Do you like the closest? This is Todd Friel. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, uh, you're so gifted. Uh, the, the marathon runner is going to turn around and say, what are you talking about? 
So I've been, I've been practicing for years. Every week I run 30 miles. I haven't had any chocolate or milk for, and cheese and butter and all those things. I've denied myself to get into this condition. It's been hard work. I've fallen over many times, and, but that's why I'm here, because I've, I've worked at it. And so when we go up to someone who's, uh, who's gifted, quote, at evangelism, uh, we've got here by hard work. I put my foot in my mouth many times. I've fallen over, bruised myself. But I've practiced and practiced and practiced. I practice on the dog. I practice in the shower. <laughs> My shower wall, I've got a pencil in the shower, and I write all over the wall and get ideas, and people say, where do you get ideas from? Well, the shower is a great place to get, get inspired because you're away from people, and, uh, and you're quiet, and you're alone, and you're, you're relaxed. And, but, yeah, I practice what I preach, and I go with my thoughts about atheists and how to make an atheist backslide. And, and so and that means anyone can do this. All you have to do is realize that you began to walk because you wanted to. You didn't spend your whole life crawling. I mean, you could have if you wanted, but you didn't. Even as a toddler, you got up and you walked. When you rode a bike, you fell off and bruised your knee, but you did it because you wanted to. When you drove a car, you were nervous because you were holding onto a vehicle that could kill someone. After a while, it's like, hmm, text it, you know, because you become <laughs> confident and become confident in it. And it's exactly the same with evangelism. Atheists used to scare me. Now I go, ooh, an atheist. I'm so excited. And it's only because of the experience that you get when you practice what you preach and when you do mm. this again. Well, Ray, I just want to say your lack of talent has meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, mm -hmm. You just got to pin out and burst the balloon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, brother. I do appreciate the encouragement. People are so kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this this shows where you're gonna get gonna get a lot of edification mm -hmm. here. So, uh, I was gonna ask you, Ray, because this is something I, I didn't even know um, you had available, and it's definitely something that I plan to jump into. And that's this uh, school of evangelism that you have uh, available. And I just wanted to get your take. I mean, how did, how did that all come about? What's something that I can expect? Because this is something I do plan to dive into something I want to offer to uh, the members of our church to get into. Uh, tell me a little bit about the school of evangelism. It's 101 lessons. It's actually everything I've ever learned about evangelism in one school. Uh, 101 lessons, <clears throat> 20,000 online students. I think it's half price at the moment. I think it's uh, $75. And so that's, that's a great way you can take your whole church. You just get one entry and you can take your whole church through it uh, awesome. and um, we also got something else we've been doing we've been doing via zoom or steam yard or whatever um, uh, a, uh, a conference we just had a conference last week and over 500 people registered for five days of teaching or four days of teaching the next one's in about three weeks you can see details at livingwaters.com and already nearly 200 people have registered so that's another silver lining you know we would often do uh, physical conferences and they were a pain you know airports and travel and delays and shipping and all these problems but with this zoom thing we can um we can reach literally hundreds uh in seconds and it's just wonderful it's and yeah praise the lord well uh, again ray we, we we thank you for your time we know you're such a busy busy person um and so we thank you for carving out some time and spending uh, spending it uh, with us this afternoon regardless of uh of whether we uh, invited tom or not <laughs> 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 well, I, nobody, guys, nobody I told really him I was going to be here. I really enjoy Christian fellowship and uh, and the love and laughter, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, caring enough to let me on your program. Yeah, well, Sam, yeah, Sam. Sam Wave. Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been listening? <laughs> I think he's been asleep. He's been tuned us out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's just a beast. We thank you, Ray, so much. Okay. It's well, been a joy, you. and we yes, he has, and... We will be praying for you and your ministry, and um, we just hope to use your. We thank you for your resources, uh, for just your ministry that has changed our lives, that has meant so much. And we just pray for, for um, uh, just just safety, uh, God's blessing upon you and your family, and Sam as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Blake, you want to now? Close before you go, Tom, I'm going to send you uh, the atheists I spoke to. Uh, the other day, the one, the one that went wonderfully, it just about brings you to tears. It's so amazing. Um, and feel free to share it with your friends there. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll dismiss. Father God, we're so thankful to be here today, Lord. We're so thankful to be instruments that you use, Lord. We're filthy, rugged, ragged instruments, Lord, defiled, but you have molded us. 
Father, into vessels of honor, Lord, to be able to uh, share the gospel, the great news, Lord, to be able to take it to this world, Father, to share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for Ray Comfort, for his ministry, Lord. We just thank you for this saint. We thank you for saving this man, for using this man for great things, to be able to, to share the gospel unapologetically, Lord, though fearful, but yet does it because you've commanded him to do it, Lord, but he also because he loves you and he loves people. And we're so thankful for that ministry, Lord, just uh, uh, embed in us this spirit of evangelism, help our listeners to want to have the zeal to share the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice upon the cross. We thank you for his righteous life that he lived, for him rising from the dead three days later. Father, we thank you for the Spirit who resides within us, who sanctifies us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. May you get all the glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. You guys. Bye-bye.